So as you know, uh, we have been working through the book of John for since the beginning of the year, and we're going to be in the book of John again today. Um, so we're in John chapter 6, if you want to flip there in your Bible, John chapter 6, picking up where we left off last week, we'll be in John chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, and um, Aaron and I did not coordinate and, and choose the songs together, but I, I think the songs that he that we sang this morning um, perfectly fit uh, what we will be uh, looking at today. And so uh, John 6, 25 through 34. So some context, context for this passage. Jesus just fed the 5,000. So that's, that's what just happened um, a few days earlier. And so Jesus fed the 5,000 with five barley loaves and with two fish. And following this meal of feeding the 5,000, this miraculous happening, this miracle, the people that were following Jesus that were there when it happened wanted to take Jesus and make him king. And so Jesus retreated because it wasn't his time yet. So he retreated away from them to be alone uh, with the Father. And he sent the disciples, the 12, in a boat across the Sea of Galilee to the city of Capernaum. And while um, they are out on the sea. Uh, a storm arises. They're out trying to make their way to the shore, and they see Jesus about to walk past them on the water. And they call out to him. He joins them in the boat. They arrive at the shore, and uh, they arrive in essentially in Capernaum. And this is where our passage picks up. And so if you'll look there with me, verse 25 I'll read for us. It says, when they found him, this is, speaking of, uh, this is speaking of the crowd. So the crowd makes their way back to the city. And so it says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Implying what, what does God, what work does God require us to do? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. This is what is required. That you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And then a famous verse in the Bible, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray before we jump into it. Father, um, just want to thank you so much for your word this morning and ask that you speak directly to our hearts. Um, as we, we, we just sang um, that uh, we come back to the heart of worship, well, receiving your word is an act of worship as well. Um, and so, Father, I ask that you 
uh, speak directly to our hearts this morning and, um, and that you use me to convey what you wish to convey. I ask this, Father. Amen. So my sermon is entitled this morning, uh, Perfect Satisfaction. Perfect Satisfaction. And my desire in this is uh, for you to marvel at Christ and gain an understanding that He alone is what will truly satisfy you. That He alone is what will truly satisfy you. I have three points this morning, and I did something I don't normally do. Um, and they all start with the letter P, which is funny because uh, my whole family, were, uh, my dad's name is Perry, and my brother's names are Preston, Patrick, and Peyton, and my name is Pierce, as you know, and, um, and then my dad has siblings who, whose names are Paula, Peggy, and Patty, and his dad's name is Paul. And so it's kind of fitting that, uh, that all the points this morning, for whatever reason, start with the letter P. And so uh, point one this morning is that Jesus is the perfect portent, the perfect portent. Portent. And you're like, what on earth is a portent? Um, I had to look it up this week. Uh, so a portent is, is a sign that foreshadows a coming event. Um, it's like a prophetic indication. So that's kind of the first way that it's usually used. It's a sign that foreshadows a coming event. But a secondary way of using the word is it, it indicates an exceptional or wonderful person of significance. And so Jesus... Is that, and I actually plan to use and are using that word portent in both ways this morning. That Jesus is both the perfect sign and the perfect person of significance. We see in verse 26 of our passage the motive behind why the crowd is following Jesus in the first place, why they met him in Capernaum. So in verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs. But because you ate your fill of the loaves, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. They were looking to Jesus, but they weren't looking to him because it, the signs pointed to him. Instead, they wanted the sign itself. They were confusing the sign for the destination. So not long ago, Karen and I were, we, don't, we were talking this week about this encounter. We can't remember who it was with, but we had an encounter with somebody here in Helotus. Uh, it was not somebody a part of the church, uh, but it was somebody here in Helotus who we started um, discussing. We didn't really know them very well. And in the dialogue, this lady asked us, where are you guys from originally? So I say, well, I'm from a town kind of in northeast Texas. You wouldn't have heard of it. And she's like, Okay. What about you, Karen? Where are you from? She says, I'm from El Paso. And the lady was like, oh, okay, cool. So you, you grew up right around here. And to which we look at each other and we're like, no. And Karen's like, no, 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 I, I, I grew up in El Paso. And, uh, and the lady's like, yeah, yeah, I know. And then I'm like, no, no, we moved here. Like I said, we moved here a few years ago to Holotus. And she's like, no, I know you moved to Holotus, but Karen, she grew up just down the road. And we're like looking at each other kind of bewildered, not knowing, you know, where the disconnect is. And, uh, and so I responded and said, well, you do realize that Holotus is, I mean, sorry, uh, El Paso is like 500 miles away, right? And she was like, no, it's not. I drive by El Paso every day on my way to work. 
And so then we're confused, and, I'm, and then I'm in this, this place now of trying to figure out, okay, this lady's super confused, so let me, let me fix this for her. And so I'm like, okay, no, hold on, hold on. Where do you drive to work? What are you seeing? Is it, are you passing a sign uh, that's maybe for the street of El Paso? Or wh- what's going on? Maybe you're passing another suburb like Helotus and you think that it's El Paso. Um, I kind of communicate to her, like, El Paso has like about a million people. You wouldn't miss it on accident. It's a very large city. And she's like, oh, no, I pass it every day. And... Um, <laughs> And so I'm thinking, you know, one, this is impossible. You don't pass this every day on your way to work. And then I ask her what her commute is. And it turns out that her commute is, uh, she brings up how, yeah, I pass El Paso every day when I'm on 1604 and when I pass by I-10. And I'm like, oh, it clicks for me. And she was mistaking the city of El Paso for this, if you want to throw... Oh, it's kind of hard to see, but this is, she saw San Antonio, El Paso exit, and she thought that means she was passing El Paso, and you can take it down, and so I, I, who, who passes that sign almost every day on your way to work? I know quite a few of you do, and we don't envy your drive, because you have to get on 1604, um, but, uh, but with that, uh, she, she, at this point, you know, I was kind of explaining to her that, no, 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 that's the sign for the exit. I hope you know this. That's the sign <laughs> for the exit on 1604 for I-10. And one direction takes you to San Antonio, and the other one, 537 miles later, takes you to El Paso. You don't drive by El Paso every day. And then it kind of clicked. And, and, and she was mistaking the sign for the city, for the actual destination. A sign just points to where you're wanting to go. It's not the actual destination. We could see in our passage that the people mistook the sign for the destination. They saw Jesus was able to meet their momentary need, their momentary affliction, and that that's what they were after. That is what they wanted. They didn't see Jesus feed the, do the miracle of feeding the 5,000 and think, who is this man? Instead, they thought, ooh, I want more food. They didn't see that Jesus was the one who could truly satisfy them. Instead, they thought the food could do it. And so they just wanted him to give them more. And so they weren't following Jesus for who he actually was and is. They were following Jesus for what he could give them. And there is a difference. God's seal of approval is on Jesus. He is the perfect portent. And he's the one that gives food that endures to eternal life. He's the only one that we should be seeking. So my question to you is, is this you? Are you the people? Are you only coming to God because you think that he's going to give you what you actually desire? That you want money or a good job or a stable home or a happy marriage or you want your kids to grow up to be decent human beings. Um, that's, a, that's a good thing. All of those are good things. But what is it that you're actually seeking after? Are you just coming to God because you think he's simply the necessary avenue through which you get what you actually want? Or is he the one that you want? Jesus is 
the perfect portent. Point two this morning is that Jesus is the perfect prophet. We're going with the P's this morning. Jesus is the perfect prophet. Verse 30, they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread to eat, or bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, the people who are interacting with Jesus at this encounter are Jews. And so, um, being Jews, they had an understanding of the Messiah that would eventually come. And so they knew that the Messiah that would come was going to be the great Redeemer. They knew that he was going to be a, a Redeemer similar to that of Moses. He was going to redeem the people and set them free. And so, they were looking at Jesus... Um, and they were comparing Jesus to Moses and were essentially saying, if you think that you're the Messiah, if you are really the greater Moses, if you're this great redeemer that's supposed to come, then show us. And so the Jewish people, just to let you know, um, viewed Moses in, in a high regard above all other prophets. He was unique. And set apart and special. He was the one chosen by God to set the Israelites free from slavery and captivity. He was also the one who wrote the Torah, which was the book of life for them. Um, Moses was significant beyond what we can really understand. Because while they viewed him as just a man, just a prophet, he was unique and special and set apart. And so Moses, to them, was... In a sense, oddly enough, the, the one that they look to kind of like Jesus, like what we look to. Not fully, but kind of. Um, God gave the Ten Commandments through Moses. God led uh, Moses when they or led the Israelites um, in the wilderness through Moses. And what's really cool too is why we bring up the whole idea of bread from heaven. So while they were in the wilderness, there was this thing where the, the people had no food. And Moses said, we got to feed the people, Lord. And so he sent down through Moses something that rained from the sky that's called manna, which literally means bread from heaven. And Moses was the part of the group who collected that and, and led the people to receive this manna. He also led them to receive water from a rock in the wilderness. I mean, just incredible things that God did through Moses. And so they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, if you're the one whom God has set his seal upon, if you are the Messiah... Then show us. God brought physical freedom from slavery and physical bread in the wilderness through Moses. So how are you going to set us free from Roman rule? And how are you going to provide for us in an even greater way? So our family loves Christmas. Uh, we love Christmas. To the point where... And I know Aaron's this way as well, that uh, start listening to Christmas songs in any state or any uh, month that ends in er. <laughs> Burr, yeah. So September, October, November. Yeah, those are all free game for listening to Christmas music. I know some of you people are like, I'll listen to Christmas music on Christmas 
dead. Not me, not our family. In fact, Lila's favorite song is Jingle Bells, and she sings it every day. So we get Christmas music year round. Um, but we love Christmas. We love going big for Christmas and getting big gifts, especially for um, our kids. And so last year for Christmas, we desired to get Lila something really epic, something really big, something that she would enjoy for many years to come with her younger siblings. And so we wanted to get her uh, this. We have a photo of it. So this is her playhouse. That's Lila uh, watering the plants in the front of her playhouse. And it's really cute. It's pretty, all that stuff. Um, but we wanted to get her that. And we, we ordered this playhouse online as it turns out we buy everything these days, right? So we ordered it online and received this giant box a few days before Christmas. This huge box. It didn't come assembled. Um, trust me, that, that took a little while. Um, but it came in a large box. And so uh, on Christmas Day, what we decided to do is we would partially wrap the box because we didn't have a wrapping paper big enough to cover the entire box, and we ran out because it was like the day before Christmas. But anyways, uh, we covered the box as well as we could, and on Christmas Eve, while she was asleep, we slid it out into the living room, and she saw it on, on Christmas Day and uh, was so excited about it, opened up or ripped off the half-wrapped you know, wrapped box and thought it was so incredible that she got a giant box. At which, at which we you know, showed her, there was a photo on the front of it, no, that's what's inside, let's show you. And so we take it out, and, and it takes me like three hours to put together and assemble, and I'm doing that outside. All the while, Lila is inside playing, so whenever I finish with you know, putting it all together, which if you've ever assembled Ikea furniture or anything like that, you, can, you know that of course that would have taken a while. And anyways, I go inside after assembling it, and what is she doing? Of course she was. She was playing with the box. And the thing is this. Here's the funny thing. Then we tell her, Lila, no, you've got your, play, you've got your playhouse outside. Let's go play with that. And she's like, well, I like my box. And, and the funny thing is, you know how she was playing with the box? As if it was a playhouse. And it's like, No! Come on! We just spent however much money and hours of sweat to put this together for you, and you liked the box. And of course, she loves the, the playhouse now, but in the moment, the box was everything. It was what she thought was really cool. And similarly, in our passage, we see that the people were holding up Moses as if, as if he was the perfect idea of uh, what they were looking for. Um, but the truth is that Moses was just a shadow of the actual thing. Moses was just the box. They wanted political freedom and a political redeemer, but Jesus is not another Moses. Instead, he is the perfect prophet. Jesus is here to give something much better uh, than political freedom and, and much better than a full stomach. He's bringing eternal life He's bringing freedom from sin, and he brings complete and full satisfaction in this life and the life to come. And what's really cool is unlike Moses, who only set Israel free from captivity, Jesus comes to bring it to the entire world. Moses was like the box, but Jesus is the real gift. Jesus is the perfect 
prophet. And some of you came in here today looking for freedom. Looking to hear from God. And you think that freedom might come in more money, a better job, um, kids finally moving out of the house, amen? (laughs) That freedom might come um, when your health gets better. But true freedom only comes from Christ. As long as we are in this world, we will be afflicted. True freedom only comes from Christ because Jesus is the perfect prophet. And so if you're looking for that, you run to him. Point three this morning is that Jesus is the perfect provision. Perfect portent, perfect prophet, perfect provision Verse 34, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So have you ever been hungry? And, (laughs) snicker, yes. Yes, I have been hungry. No, have you ever been um, hungry and you want something to eat, and then when you do go and eat something, you're like, no, that's not, that didn't really satisfy. And so you think, maybe it wasn't something salty. Maybe it was something sweet. And so you go and you eat something sweet, and it's like, no, that didn't really satisfy either. And you're trying to think of what will satisfy. Um, So what's interesting is that there was a clinical trial, a clinical study done, whose uh, results were published in the Journal of Physiology and Behavior in in 2008. And the study was on this idea, seeking satisfaction whenever you're hungry and it just doesn't, it's just not met. And what they found is that 37 participants at any given time in this study mistook thirst for hunger. Meaning that 37% of people who thought that they were hungry were not actually hungry, they were actually thirsty. And their brain was having a difficult time deciphering the, the difference between those two. Um, funny enough, there, another part of the study showed that 75% of people who, in case you're low on energy, 75% of people who felt like they were low on energy and thought they needed food to give them a boost, it turned out that they were just dehydrated and drinking water gave them more of a boost than eating any food. Um, but aside that, um, I'm bringing this up because the people, uh, people recognize, we recognize that we have a desire, but we often don't know how to satisfy it. And here's what's interesting. Every person has a desire and hunger for God built into them. They may not know it. They may not be aware of it that much, but, but it's there. Um, theologians have called this idea the God-shaped hole. Some of you have heard of that term. That we intuitively know that something is wrong with this world and that something is missing in us. Well, we might not be able to put our finger on it exactly, but we know it's there. And so we often live our lives seeking to fill the God-shaped hole that's in us. And so we run to things like money or education or we run to more travel or more leisure or more entertainment or we run to things that may be even destructive, like drugs or a sensual lifestyle. We run to different things. Um, even the idea, we see this all the time in romantic movies, we run to relationships. You complete me. And it's like, no, that's not true. That's not true. They, 
those things, whether they're good or if they're not good, they will never truly satisfy. C.S. Lewis, who's one of my favorite authors, writes in Mere Christianity about this idea. He says, and I think I have it, yes. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that doesn't prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. I'm here to inform you this morning that Jesus Christ is the real thing. Christ is the perfect provision. He is the one who satisfies. Jesus doesn't come to bring you something that will satisfy you. Rather, he is the one who brings satisfaction. So stop looking to things, stop looking to Jesus for things other than Jesus. Because he's the one. Go to Jesus knowing that he is the only one who will truly quench your thirst and satisfy your hunger. Jesus is the perfect portent, perfect prophet, and perfect provision. So, place your faith in him. Verse 28 and 29 in this passage we see, verse 28, they said to him, then what must we do to be doing the works of God? Like I said earlier, implying what, God, what work does God require us to do in order to receive this? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. God is so good in that he does not require you to do some kind of work in order for Christ to be your perfect provision. You don't need to clean up your life before you come to Christ. You don't need to go to church for a prescribed period of time before he can, you can receive him as your satisfaction. You don't need to go through some catechism class or or um, do anything other than place your faith in Christ where you are right now. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 are some of my favorite passages, uh, verses in the Bible. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We don't need to do anything before we come to Jesus. We don't need to clean up our life. That's like I was talking to my family last night. Thinking you need to clean up your life before you come to Jesus is like thinking you need to get clean before you take a shower. It just just doesn't make sense. The shower is the thing that cleans you. And so is Jesus. And so uh, we, we don't do anything other than run to him and place our faith in him. And what's amazing is it's not the quality of our faith that saves us. Instead, it's the object of our faith that saves us. That object being Jesus. He's the one who saves us. And so if we just place our faith in him, he's faithful to save us. All we must do is trust him as the perfect portent, perfect prophet, the perfect provision. Place your faith in him today if you haven't. And if you have then guess what? Today is a new day for you to do it again.
It's not something that, that this is not something that you did once when, oh, I did that when I was 17 years old. Did, I placed my faith in Jesus when I was 17, so I'm good now. That's not the Christian life. Jesus is your prophet, portent, provision. Place your faith in him every day. If you'd like to speak to me about this idea, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus and you desire to do so, um, here in a minute we're going to sing a song, and I'll be down here. I would love to talk with you about that. If you want prayer about anything, I'll be down here as well. Um, but we are going to sing how all of our days we praise and glorify Jesus, the name above all names, the perfect portent, perfect prophet, perfect provision. Let's pray and we'll worship together. God, you are so good. And we ask this morning that, um, that you help us to respond in faith. That this not be a, a mere... Uh, this not be something that we merely hear and it goes in one ear and out the other, but instead, Lord, that you work in our hearts to help us respond to you and to live life with you every day, not seeking anything other than you. You are our satisfaction. You are the thing that we seek, whether we realize it or not. And so, Lord, help us to seek you. I ask this and I pray this in the name of Christ.